1: Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Long week. But as we head into our final of our third hours, no one I'd rather uh, end the week with than my favorite academic, Pete Peterson. And I, yeah, my favorite ap- academic. You know why? Because he's both smart and normal, which is, you know, kind of what Pepperdine <laughs> School of Public Policy is. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.com. Dot EDU. You could say that about that institution as well. Smart and normal, Pete. That's uh, that shouldn't be a high bar. But my gosh, <laughs> <You>
2: know, <laughs> my gosh, I'm I'm already uh, <laughs> sending out a missive for some new bumper stickers to be printed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've been I've
1: been, I've been on a roll lately with people here. getting uh, getting uh, a- a- advertising lines from me. Yeah, smart <laughs> and normal. <laughs> Why is that? By the way. Yeah. Such a hard yeah. thing to find in academia. Why is that? It
2: is. Well, you know. Not the smart I'm, part. I I, we won't argue the smart.
1: It. I mean, a lot of people are smart in academia. But why the why the absence of so much normalcy in, in higher education?
2: You know, I think it goes back to some fundamental arguments about what is the purpose of education. Okay. And one of the classes we're actually about to kick off. Uh, what we call our D.C. Policy Scholars classes uh, that we offer in Washington, D.C. Pepperdine has a building there. And mm-hmm. We offer classes in June and July, and the July course is what we call a great books course in education policy. Mm-hmm. And what we discuss there uh, are really the two paths, if you will, in education policy. One um, really highlights or focuses on uh, preparing the individual for uh, citizenship and self-governance. The other path um, sees the individual as uh, someone who has to essentially find their own identity outside of their family and community and the normal, traditional um, personality and identity-forming institutions. And when that path around uh, engaging students um, to essentially tell them that wherever they came from, they really should not pay any attention to that, they can be, uh, they really need to kind of find their own identity separate from that, Uh, you get into some very ideological places. Mm -hmm. And with that, you get some of the kinds of things that we're seeing now around, uh, certainly in the area of sexual identity Mm -hmm. and and some of the the classes and things uh, Mm -hmm. that are being offered all the way down to kindergarten in some places. But that actually is based on this broader view that a student is really intended, uh, not so much to discover themselves, their gifts, talents, and abilities, out of The traditional identity-forming institutions, but they're essentially um, being prepared to revolt against those or rebel against those institutions, seeing them as too parochial or too confining. And when that's the case, you can get into some very abnormal uh, types of educational programming. And again, uh, we're, we're seeing that in, in our K-12 schools and certainly up through higher education.
1: Pete Peterson, I have to tell you, I have never heard an explanation like that so clear and that makes so much sense to me on a question that I've never really had the guts to ask a true academic because it might be going a little bit against self you know, self-interest or type uh, uh, of your own of your own community or of your own um, your own institution. Let me make sure I got you right. As I understood you, Pete, this is fascinating. I, right off the cuff here, I love it. Um, two views of education. I mean, we're we're being broad here. We're painting in broad strokes, yeah, obviously. Right. So we get that. But but the two views are roughly education. If I got this right, for citizenship and self-government governance. Versus education to find your self importance and identification some other way elsewhere. Did I get that right. roughly right?
2: You do, and I would want to drill down maybe on that first category, okay. it, it, which is to say that a a citizenship that is also based on a a love of place and an understanding of the importance of the traditional identity-forming institutions. Uh, of course, we're talking about school, we're talking about uh, the family, we're talking about faith institutions, we're talking about mores, um, you know, traditions within a particular culture that, at their extreme, uh, could certainly be seen as as constricting, but they are also quite humane in The fact that uh, human beings, since time immemorial, have been uh, shaped and formed through this uh, set of institutions. And the other side, again, uh, that second path is really about seeing those institutions as inherently corrupt, uh, inherently working against the freedom of the individual— And and things to be uh, questioned and and rebelled against.
1: This is nothing Um, we planned on talking about. And I love this. Pete, that's a great adjunct, by the way, to those two categories. Again, we'll just stipulate. We won't say it again. We're stipulating that we're talking in rough and broad strokes. But to get a general theory of the problem, um, you added the word love. Um, and 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 a humane sense in that first category where we teach to citizenship and self-governance um you didn't say the word so I'll do it uh because I think it is implicit again with the broad strokes on the other side where where people are trying to find their identification in other things or elsewhere you know love and humane is lovingness and humaneness is not what you get at least not from the faculty i mean i look um and, and, Anec- anecdote is not the singular form of data, and and yeah. I get that. But I, I I saw this early on in Claremont, where the most famous left wing professor of political science was a bitter, angry person who used a lot of foul language whenever he heard someone quoting perhaps the most famous conservative professor in Claremont, which was Harry Jaffa. Harry Jaffa had a strong pen and strong opinions. He was the most decent individual, soft-spoken person you would ever meet, who loved going on bike rides with students and even having students get married at his house, just the nicest guy in the world, versus the leftist, who was a bitter, angry uh, Berkeley type, quite frankly, 68 Berkeley graduate. Uh, So again, I don't mean uh, to say that data is the plural of anecdote, but to hang a little bit of uh, meat on that hook, I see it. You know, if citizenship and self-governance are your interest, you're going to have a respect for and a love of, as you say, not only place but a a humaneness to you. Um, If you are about destruction, if you are about iconoclasm, I suppose, it makes sense that hate and anger would be much, much more dominant in that category. Maybe I'm being too rough for it,
2: but that's kind of how I'm I'm hearing it. Yeah, let me introduce another part to that, sure. which is to say that the the view of education, which began with Dewey, uh-huh. uh, John Dewey, and then continued, certainly Paulo Freire, uh, the Brazilian uh, philosopher, yeah. is probably one of the more popular exponents or proponents of this. His book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is something that... Famous Marxist,
1: today. by the way, right, Pete? We can right. say that, can't yeah. we? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and that book is taught in graduate schools of education mm-hmm. throughout the country. Uh, that the human being is, is really a tabula rasa. Um, that the human being is almost formless until they come into the education process. Mm-hmm. And if the human being is that plastic, if the human being does not bring... Uh, certainly uh, a background or a preparation in these identity-forming institutions that we've talked about Mm -hmm. before, from the family to faith Mm -hmm. to uh, community. The building blocks Uh, of any
1: normal society, effectively. Right.
2: If if those things are meant to be seen as inherently corrupting, Mm -hmm. and the person, the student, is essentially a tabula rasa that could go in a innumerable set of directions uh that also puts an immense amount of pressure on that individual uh to be almost anything Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and i think one of the things that we are seeing uh in our students today and i would put that from um, elementary school definitely high school and into college is when you can be almost anything and the places where you feel most comfortable, the places where you have developed some sense of identity or awareness of yourself, are you're being told that those are inherently corrupting, that you need to <coughs> rebel against those and find your own identity. Uh, that can be a real anxiety producing. Uh, dynamic. Pete,
1: this is huge. Uh, i got to take the commercial. Can we pick up on this on the other side of the break? We're talking to Pete Peterson. Wow, did I discover an interesting topic with him, or did he discover it with me? Pete Peterson is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. You want to go be smart and do good in graduate work in public policy? Pepperdine School of Public Policy. They are the answer and the solution to all the problems in higher ed we typically discuss here. They are the exception for a reason. Leadership of this man and a great faculty and student body. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is with us. Um, He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. And uh, (coughs) excuse me, sorry about that, Pete. You were talking about something that is a hugely, I think, pregnant point about two visions of education, uh, and not just – by the way, we started in higher education. I think you were correct in the last segment to bring it into elementary and, and, and high school as well. The way people in certain views of education or certain views of the role of education, the way students or people accept that um, uh, can be when it's not based on instantiating uh, – uh, modes of citizenship, self-governance and support and participation in the institutions and the regular building blocks of society. But when it's really far more, um, shall we say, uh, self-discovery oriented or relativist oriented, it can end up, you you used an interesting word, it can end up producing a kind of anxiety. Would you unpack that a little further and feel free, obviously, to uh, amend if I mischaracterized how you put it as well?
2: No, it's exactly as you said, it, okay. Seth, okay. that I I think what we're in the view that, again, if we're going to go back to the roots, then we have to look at folks like John Dewey uh-huh. and uh, Paul Frere and oh, yeah. other fellow travelers right. who see education as essentially the preparation of revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't use that term too strongly because that is exactly a term that Frere uses Uh, it it draws out of Rousseau right, and so it was originally Rousseau who said that these institutions habits uh, manners, customs were inherently uh, restrictive and uh, needed to be rebelled against that freedom came uh, from uh, disengaging from these chains. Uh, so these chains were family, uh, tradition, custom, uh, community, uh, faith. Um, these kinds of things, in the eyes of one side of this educate, this one pathway, we're calling it an education, mm-hmm. was really to prepare students to break those chains. The other side of education. Again, and we can look at everyone from uh, St. Ben- Benedict to—we uh, 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 can think about—
1: um, Play- I, uh, I would start with Plato, maybe, even.
2: Sure, yeah. No, absolutely. Okay, okay uh, We could okay. go there, and uh, Jacques Martin is, is another oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Boy, um, I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, yeah, Jacques it. Martin, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, who said that really y- human beings come to us, yes, as as very unique uh, and as as individuals, but at the same time, uh, they need to appreciate how they are being shaped, and shaped in good ways by these institutions, that our identity as human beings will always be found mm-hmm. in those places. In other words, you can't... I mean, to make it very personal, you can't know about me unless you know I came from New Jersey. I okay. grew up there. Okay, right? yeah. And for... Uh, you can't really know about me unless you know I'm a Christian. Um, So these these kinds of uh, really identity-forming institutions, in the eyes of this second path, this second view of education, which is very uh, supportive of institutions, understands that these are good things. Uh, That's not to say that, you know, we shouldn't find our own individual calling, and this is where this view of civic institutions can blend with both the secular and religious view of calling, which I know is something you and I have talked about yep. before. Yep. But even in that, as Oz Guinness once said, if there is a calling, then there is a caller. Yep. <laughs> and, and that idea that there is a caller is completely antithetical to this other path of education which says that, no, you need to find it by yourself.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: And that view of finding identity by yourself when you're speaking to 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds and just say, "You know what? That's, you can be anything you want in the world, and if anyone tells you that you know these things are important, or that these are uh, habits or manners or traditions that are important and should be continued, that you are a steward of these things, that is anathema.
1: Don't trust anyone uh, over thirty. Was an early version.
2: Exactly of can right. We call, what so would you
1: call these two views of education? I just wrote down traditional versus new, but I'm I'm open to whatever's better. If you have a better, no, so
2: I like I, I like um, the the radical individual iconoclast.
1: Okay, you like that.
2: I like that word. That well, used I used because
1: it because when you said um, when you mentioned Paolo Ferrer and John Dewey, yeah. I mean you can go and read this Paulo Ferrer Works and you kind of know exactly what you're getting by the very titles of his books: Pedagogy yep. of the Oppressed, Teaching as a Revolutionary Act. Yep. That may have been a, a collection of essays and not his own book, but that's the kind of thing. Um, can I th- can I speak at you for a minute and you and you unwind it yep. however you want because here yep. here here are the thoughts you've given me on this, Pete. We're talking to Pete Peterson from Pepperdine School of Public Policy. In this other view, let me call it the radical, the more radical iconoclastic view of education where uh, people uh, find their identities outside of civic or building block type institutions – um, where humaneness and love are at discount in name of, uh, you know, uh, revolutionary action in society or in, in education. I was thinking of this famous phrase, you know it well, um, from an old Supreme Court case um, on abortion, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, where three uh, justices, by the way, Republican, all of them, wrote that at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. This is an invitation to me, and this is what I am hearing about this radical... This is what I'm thinking about when I hear about this radical attribute of education, this radical direction of this new kind of education, um, this new pedagogical model. This is an invitation to a relativism-run riot where you can have, I don't know, 330 million versions of truth or what citizenship should be or what self-governance should entail. And when you open things up to that, I'll let you respond on the other side of the break. When you open yourself up to a notion where liberty means everyone gets to define their own concept of existence and meaning of the universe and the mystery of human life, when you get that, there's only one way to concretize or instantiate it, and that is through massive societal revolution. I said a lot there. Would you unpack it and contemn it and argue with it on the other side of this break? I look forward to it. Okay. <laughs> me too. I think, sort of. I don't get a grade from Pete. We'll be right back. He's Pete Peterson, and I'm Seth Liebsen. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth. I'm speaking with, and uh, privileged to be speaking with uh, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, I threw a lot at you. Let me just, for anyone who may be joining us, let me do it real bluntly and real quick, and I'll let yeah. you address it. In this other, this newer view of education, this uh, this this icon- this revolutionary uh, or iconoclastic uh, uh, view of I- of education. That's not about educating students to citizenship and self-governance and the civil institutions that every civil society builds itself upon. When you have another view of it where people can define truth for themselves when they can, in the words of the Supreme Court, define the meaning of the universe and the mystery of human life for themselves – by no um, by no objective standard, it seems to me that you are then going to be sending these students out into a world that no longer respects and teaches to comply or abide by the society they were raised in, but rather one that must almost by definition face some kind of massive societal revolution because it is, it, it, it is going to require... An, an, an appreciation or an adoption of this very weirdly relativistic view that most people outside of academia don't really have. If I could give you a poster boy for it, it would be the 25 year old pink and green haired kindergarten teacher who thinks it's fine to teach five year olds about his sex life and encourage them in theirs. That's what you end up with. I, I'm being crude, but that's that's where I'm going
2: well yeah so I this second path this pathway that we're talking yep. about which starts with the student as this tabula rasa that the education process is essentially meant to it's and I and I should back up first to say that it's it's promoted as helping the student find their gifts talents and abilities right, help so, the, the student find their own individual gifts right. But really what it is, is an attempt by the, the school, uh, following this type of, uh, founding principle, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to dictate to the student, um, I was just looking here through uh, pedagogy of the oppressed, oh, okay, my, my <laughs> copy that I have here <laughs>
1: I, I hope we're not selling any <laughs> I, mean, no. <laughs> I hope we're not conjuring it up again <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> but we are teaching it okay. you know yeah, and no, of course, and, and this is why it's so important okay. to know these foundational thinkers because okay. you don't you can't understand what's going on in Florida right now with uh, and i and I use this term uh somewhat seriously with this hellbent effort to teach kindergartners about sexual identity right. you can't understand that unless you understand these foundational thinkers totally saying totally yep but the student the role of the educator is really to have this almost all encompassing direction for the student sold as helping the student to find freedom in their own identity but really disconnecting them from all these other traditional identity-forming institutions. Mm -hmm. So one Frere quote, the educator has the duty of not being neutral. Mm -hmm. And so we see this constantly in education today, where uh, for centuries the goal of education was to teach critical thinking, uh, to, as we were saying before, prepare students for Uh, as we say here at Pepperdine, lives of purpose, service, and leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, These were the reasons for that, and understanding that you were working within systems that you were then going to be the steward of Mm -hmm. to pass down. Mm -hmm. But I think so many of, I would guess, many of your listeners are wondering, how did we get to a place where America's own founding is seen as corrupt? Mm -hmm. Well, it comes out of this type of thinking that if if the goal is constant revolution, if the goal is to see every traditional institution as inherently freedom squelching, then it's going to be your, your your natural next step is to say, how do we pull apart? How do we condemn, critique, rebel against these institutions and these histories?
1: I want to push on that on the other side. It's a short segment on the other side, if I can keep you. I, I can, by the way, I can diagnose, based on what you said, why now the left, this, what you have said in the last three, four seconds is a perfect explanation as to why the left, particularly in academia, but, you know, they take it wherever they go now, why they hate free speech so much. This is the reason. This is the reason. And we can pick up on that, too, when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson He's Pete Peterson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. And um, we're talking about some interesting stuff having to do with education, intellectual, um, uh, pedagogical uh, programs and how it affects society at large beyond the ivory towers. Pete, right before the break, you were getting into um, the – of necessity, revolutionary uh, an- animation that a lot of students are now encouraged mm-hmm. to leave college with. High school, too, I think. But go ahead if you want to build on that.
2: Yeah, well, and I'll start with just another quotation directly sure. from Frere. Uh, he says in Pedagogy of the Press, looking at the past must only be a means of understanding more clearly what and who they are so they can more wisely build the future. Now, at first blush, that sounds rather, um, you know, not too revolutionary, yeah, yeah. but essentially what he's saying there is we are only to look at the past to understand what needs to be transformed in the present and future. The past is not something to be appreciated, understood on its own terms and of course, as all conservatives would do, uh, you know there's there's w- w- we're not looking to conserve uh, habits or practices uh, to put them in in uh, you know some sort of locked away safe we're always looking to review renew, build and change where necessary but if the look at the past is only for understanding what we need to transform. Uh, that is a much different approach, A, to history, and and B, to the place where you live.
1: Right. Uh, I, it reminds me of nothing so much from Karl, Karl Marx's, who Frere was a, was a devotee of, of Karl Marx's notion in his notes, I think, to Frere, on Fairback about the task of, uh, of, of of studying history is not to understand it, but in fact to change it. Uh, right. that, I think you wed that to what Ferrer is saying and you can understand much better not only George Orwell's 1984 and the messages therein, but quite honestly, the change of our founding date to
2: 1619. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, that that is why it, it gets back to... Providing arguments, if you can get at the founding and say that it was inherently corrupt, right. and anything that follows from it is corrupt.
1: Yep.
2: Now, if you want people, if you can sit someone down with that perspective and say, well, what kind of world are you looking for and how are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I have heard is it's time for a new founding. I've heard that mm-hmm. term uh, on mm-hmm. the lips of some. Now, what does that even mean? Right. The phrase I mean, itself
1: kind of is is inherently contradictory,
2: but yes. It on. is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so that's like when Walter Burns the, said, like, you know, he
1: went to a country that to give a lecture on the Constitution in, I think it was Brazil, and he said, why would we listen to an American? You've only had one. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Exactly <laughs> right. Right. Okay. right. Yeah. And so, again, you get into these situations where the, the theory of constant revolution um really doesn't provide a firm foundation for students to understand what is to be kept and what is to be reformed uh, and not transformed. The difference between reform and transform is significant. And it goes back to if that is the environment, if that is the role that we are preparing students to take on, this revolutionary, that it's their responsibility given the corruption of our founding to radically transform the country, that is a lot of stress to put on individual students. And I I do think, again, if the the normal, humane way of understanding ourselves is to know what are the things that have formed us for better or for ill – um, but also to understand the things that are very good about the places where we live, the family we came from, uh, the faith we may adhere to. And if all of those things are stripped away from us, leaving us at, really at the mercy of the educator, uh, that can produce, um, A, a really bad power dynamic, but it will also produce this anxiety-fraught view of oneself, who can be anything in the world, um, and also the world in which they live.
1: Pete, you—this um, is brilliant and beautiful—you said something, I believe you, you, you attributed it, or is was a quote from Oz Guinness— yeah. Calling and caller, can you say it again? I, I took a note on that. I wanted to follow up on that. I think is relevant to what you just said.
2: Right. So some, something we do teach here at the policy school is that there is a, a calling to public oh, service. Okay. Right. And Guinness's book, The Call, which had an incredible impact on my own life, made the Christian case, uh, in Oz's words, that if there is a calling to a particular life, then there is a caller. Yeah. Okay. Now that's not to say there isn't a secular view of that, but even so There is a North Star. There
1: there is a North there is an objective.
2: That's right. Yeah. And there are gifts, talents, and abilities that you have been given right. that you are you are responsible to and for.
1: Well, two things As we wrap up, Pete, that I want to say, and maybe maybe you've given us something for months on end to talk about and examine further. This has been tremendously enlightening for me. You said the difference between transform and reform is all the difference in the world. It is interesting when you hear politicians talk about fundamentally transforming this country. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Point one, you know what I'm talking about. This calling caller thing here. Remember, I forget who someone was saying, you know, it quote reminds me. The modern age, the modern liberal world we live in or the postmodern world we live in is all about the search for the truth or the search for meaning or the search for something. But the moment you actually find it, they hate you. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, my gosh, uh, we're going to have to leave on that that thought and question mark um, if that's okay. until next time. But I, I got you have no idea how much you've given me to think about this weekend.
2: Well, it's great to be with you, Seth. We Thank certainly you, didn't plan it. But, no, uh, no and that. we have all
1: that stuff to do, too. So, yes. <laughs> right. Pete Peterson, Godspeed to you. Have a great weekend, and thanks for everything you do and the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Thanks so much, Seth. Bless you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. What if you can do well by doing good? What if you can invest in a secure and collateralized portfolio while earning exceptional fixed returns while actually helping other people? What other people? People who are drowning in private student loan debt. Why refi will help get them out of it and along the way do so much more, including improve their FICO scores, which is obviously the gateway to improving a lot of their lives as well. But on the other side, you can participate in this as an actual investor with Y-Refi and get a tremendous, as I say, collateralized fixed return. I've met with these guys. I've looked at the model. It makes all the sense in the world to me. The success stories did, too. I take this kind of thing really seriously. You should, too, if you're in the mode of investing in as I say, doing well by doing good by others. Check them out at investrefy.com. That's invest the letter Y, then refy, R E F Y dot com. Invest the letter Y, then refy dot com. They're in the business of, of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. It should make you feel good to do something like that. I've, as I said, known these guys, I've met these guys, and I vouch for them. Big time. Invest or give them a call at eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Let me just give a concluding thought. I've had, obviously, from the Pete Peterson interview, education on my mind a bunch. Um, and um, it's this. I, I've shared it before. I think it's worth sharing again. Uh, Jonathan Rausch suggested um, this statement should be put in every student Handbook on our college campuses. Warning Although this university values and encourages civil expression and respectful personal behavior, you may at any moment and without further notice encounter ideas, expressions, and images that are mistaken, upsetting, dangerous, prejudiced, insulting, or deeply offensive. We call this education. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That is what education is and should be. And that's why you won't find that statement in these college handbooks, because to put that statement in would allow for, oh, academic freedom and free speech. And that the revolutionaries can never have. God bless you all. Until Monday, I'm Seth Leapson. Class is dismissed.